Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrowRoom.com. In this week's interview, we speak to a good friend of the show. He has been on the show many, many times before, and it is always a massive pleasure to chat with him. This is Simpa Carter. Now, you might have heard about Simpa on one of our previous episodes. We've done many interviews in the past with him before, and if you want to check out those interviews, just head over to highonhomegrown.com slash interviews, and you can see all of our back catalogue right there, and you can listen to any episode you'd like for absolutely free. But as I said, this interview is with Simpa Carter. He has his own podcast called The Simpa Life Podcast, and you should definitely check that podcast out. He always puts out good content, has great guests on his show and always does good interviews. So if you want to know more about Simpa and hear more from his podcast, then do go and check out his content. Again, just head to his website, which is the Simple Life Podcast. .co.uk. But for now, let's move on to the interview. Make sure you roll yourself a fat one, get super high and enjoy this conversation with our friend Simpa. And I'll speak to you at the end of this. See you in a bit. Check, check, check. Can you hear me? How's it going, man? Yeah, we can hear you. We can see you too. How's things, man? Awesome. Tech is working. Therefore, I am in a good fucking mood. Nice. (laughs) You don't have to fuck around with anything. I know the feeling, bro. I know the feeling. Yeah, I've uh, recently gone to a camera and a new audio box and touched wood. We're doing all right right now. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Good. It's good to see you, man. Good to hear from you as well. It's been a while since we had you on the show. So I dropped you a message a few weeks ago, and be like, hey, you need to get you back on. Yeah, a lot has changed, eh? Uh, what's what you've been up to? Well, let, let's let's quickly introduce ourselves so everybody knows who they're listening to. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I'm Mackie from the UK. That's me. Monkey, want to say hi? Hey, Monkey over here in the Southeast US. Hi, hey, Simpa. Hope you're good today. Hey, good to hear from you, man. Uh, man. Yeah, more importantly, we have Simpa here. How's it going, Simpa? You want to introduce yourself so everybody knows who you are? Yeah, sure. Uh, I suppose these days I'm a podcaster, writer, agitator, activist, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, that surmises my role currently. Nice. Nice. Yeah, man. And you're from the UK, as many people could probably tell by your accent. It's yeah, a little although, different for us out here, eh? Yeah, definitely. Very different. I'm obviously uh, up, in, up in north, um, quite up near the Scot- uh, Scottish border. And yeah, for all we used to lead the way. In this country, I think Durham is uh, unfortunately under new management, as it as it were, police wise, um, and we're kind of going in uh, the opposite direction, unfortunately. Lame, because mm. Ron Hogg used to be the guy up there, didn't he? He was in charge of the police, but he passed away a few years ago. Yeah, he did. Unfortunately, uh, rest in peace to 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 Ron. Yeah, his legacy is the PCC, the Police Chief. Con- uh, sorry, the Police Crime Commissioner, uh, too many acronyms right. within the police world. Um, mm. But yeah, it was his, his policies in conjunction with our uh, CCR Chief Constable uh, Mike Barton that basically yeah, set a, a bunch of policies in place that allowed for Durham and some of the neighbouring counties to you know really benefit um, from a different approach toward cannabis policy. Right. You just had Billy drop us a question in the chat here because we got a few patrons listening. It's not like we're out live to everybody, just a few people listening. And we have Billy who asked an interesting question here, man. Will you run for police crime commissioner so Ron Hogg's legacy doesn't get lost? Or would you help someone else do it? 
He's not somebody you'd be interested in. I would, in. I would definitely help somebody else. I do not believe for one second I am qualified for that. Um, <laughs> uh, I think this is this Billy Billy Bonds. Um, yeah, I that's think, Billy. Yeah, I, yeah there was, he posed a similar question. I put a rant up about the police not that long ago. And in the minute I'm only like forward facing social media, I like occasionally touch it and very rarely go back mm. to whatever it is that I've put up there. Mm-hmm. Um, Post and ghost, man, it's the best way. Yeah, basically. So I, I have been thinking about it basically since you, you commented that and would definitely support somebody in it. But I think that it would be such a single issue, I guess, for where I would be standing. I don't, I think I would struggle to gain enough uh, support and enough um sort of backing around other areas that are not related to sort of my expertise of like cannabis and drug policy and, and sort of human rights um but in terms of working with somebody that is already in those positions definitely definitely i think as as we've said all along and this was proven with ron and mike the conjunct uh, combination of the pcc and the chief constable they can set policy that effectively all the officers in that county have to follow why, why would you want to do that man why would I want to do that? No, why wouldn't you want to oh, do that? Competency. Like I said, I, I'm trying to really understand the limits of my capability within not just this space, but in my life in general. Um, and I, I, for all, I've got the life experience, lived and living experience, like I said, within sort of drugs, drugs policy and, and sort of, uh, I suppose, drug culture. I'm not sure how much of that translates into uh, actual sort of uh, meaningful votes and, and a, a percentage of that share that would mean that I, I would first of all get elected for that role um, like I said in terms of if it could be something that could be shared with another person or in terms of backing somebody that has already got that kind of career trajectory um, and then partnering with them solely on drugs policy I think that would be something I would advocate for and work towards because I believe that would be something I feel competent and capable and, and yeah I don't know, man. I would think you were competent and capable of doing it, but you know, you know your own limitations, man, and what you're capable of. But I think that you you've got a good chance of doing it, man. And mm-hmm. you know, if you don't, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. If you support somebody and they get to the fucking seat at the top and then be like, oh yeah, about that weed thing, I've kind of changed my mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's not going to happen if you do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's something I've learned firsthand quite a lot in this space, more so over recent years. Um, being kind of filled with with there's no fluff, there's one better one of a better way to describe mm-hmm. it, uh, by various individuals that then hear what I'm saying, take the ideas, but then when yeah, when it comes to it, it gets very much bastardized. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I did help one of the London mayor mayoral candidates uh basically put together part of their drug policy on cannabis mm-hmm. and what came out through the wash was antithetical mm-hmm. to basically what i proposed and now I'm, I'm used to it by now which is why i've kind of stepped back from a lot of the work that i was doing in the spaces i felt feel like i've just been building my own mausoleum brick by brick and i'm mm-hmm. just so eager it's it's one of the things i'm learning i'm on a discover self-discovery at the minute on a potential like getting diagnosed for autism and trying to understand these certain things of like I'm driven to justice and you know wherever I see inequality mm. I, my focus goes towards it that's why I, I operate in this space the way that I do and I yeah see a lot of things moving around me at the minute that are again antithetical to what I I'm fighting for and for the people that I'm fighting for yeah man. yeah it's difficult man it's a tough one especially living in a country where it's, it's still illegal you know if it was legalized there'd be so many more people getting into the fight because they've got less to lose well, That's this is the biggest problem. This is where I'm really struggling with all of this. I mean, my my most recent article for Weed World, the 
I've just been working on a day to finish. I'm trying to create a new term to describe something I've been speaking of for a while. Cause I think I mentioned last time I was on the podcast with you guys, the, I think I said, actually at that point over the next 18 months, I'm going to be in the unfortunate position of fighting against legalization. And the more I've sort of dug into that, I've, I'm coining this term neo-legalization in the right. same way you take sort of li- liberalism, which was like a loose association and a philosophy, a political philosophy that then became a very rigid political ideology under Thatcher and Reagan um, in the 80s and became neoliberalism. And so I'm trying to say the same sort of thing has happened to legalization. So when you had like Peter Tosh in that singing to legalize it and you had Bob Marley making calls for, to, to change the laws and everything else, they always meant that they wanted to liberate all people. They wanted to end criminalization of cannabis. They weren't talking about strict licenses, you know, mm-hmm. uh, overly restrictive bureaucracy and fucking all of these taxations and impediments. No, they would literally just let the people grow and let us be free. Mm-hmm. And wherever I've seen legalization go forward in the world, it's that it's this is not what we're seeing. It's it's, yeah, it's r- brilliant for huge thing. corporations, but the mm-hmm. individuals you're still restricted. Look at what the, they're now calling uh, legalization, which is going to be like model 7.5 or whatever it is in Germany. And they're talking mm. three plants per household per year, clubs that are not you clubs, know, distribution points that are controlled. It's all, it's, it's the opposite I, thing. So it's, yeah, I went on a similar kind of rant just a few days ago. I think I'm one of the Sunday shows because a, a few friends of mine, they went out to a nightclub around by me and it was a rave and one of my friends he's legally prescribed cannabis so he took his weed and he took all of his paperwork to make sure that they knew and he got there to the door they searched his bag found weed and he's like i'm a legal patient then there was three of the bodyguards on the door uh, the bouncers not bodyguards uh but they was on the door and they were like yeah three guys like yeah we all are legal users as well so essentially he's allowed in. Then three guys are allowed to use cannabis. But say that I rocked up there, they searched my bag. And because I don't have the paperwork, because I haven't paid the government a little bit of fucking money, I'm not allowed to have my weed. And he's like, what kind of ridiculous shit is this? It's like, but we can have it or we can't. It's not a fact that we should go and bribe the government by giving them a little bit of cash and then we're allowed to. How did we get to this fucking point? You know what I mean? 100%. And this is the 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 argument that... um. Well, I'll credit him with it because he, he he helped me come up with it literally just this morning. I was speaking to uh, Phil Monk, uh, WTU, mm-hmm. uh, WTU, and we were discussing the concept that medicinal patients, lawfully prescribed medicinal patients in this country, are the only group that are criminalized from combusting cannabis. Because mm-hmm. the laws, if you don't have that prescription, can't criminalize you for smoking cannabis. They can only criminalize you for possessing it. Consumption isn't unlawful. Right, it's, right. it's incredibly difficult to criminalize. So the, the the way the laws are set up, this is what I'm saying. We're in a fabricated situation now where they've manipulated us into fighting for this concept of legalization or neo-legalization, as I'm calling it, mm. um, so that we do their work for them. So we go, yeah, these big corporations, these these huge people that represent the the same establishment that for decades have raided our homes, you know, vilified us on the evening news, broken up our communities and, and demonized us for decades, are going to be the ones that get to sell us this cannabis and to profit from it. Mm-hmm. it it's it's the system is so warped. And, and yeah. this is where they then go, oh, well, you want decriminalization. I was like, yes, small d decriminalization is in what it meant in a classical sense, the end of criminalization. Yeah. But you're saying that you can't have your monopoly and conglomerate system alongside decriminalization 
So therefore mm-hmm. you're saying your, your legalization model is predicated on the perpetuation of prohibition, not ending it. Yeah. You need criminalization. Look what's happening in New York. Look at California's system. I mean, news just came out last week from a uh, trying to remember the company that did the report. I can't name it off the top of my head, but they found that less than what is it, twenty four point seven percent of companies in America are profitable. Like the, these models, wow. are, they're failing. You look at the tens of billions that have been pissed away in Canadian investment. Mm-hmm. You know, they're only there because of the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, and the whoever's that are speculating on this over 10, 15, 50 years. They're, they're playing the longest game here where we're still trying mm-hmm. to have the conversations to, I don't want to have to have a plant limitation. Any restriction, you any know. arbitrary limitation on us is a, is prohibition. That's yeah. not what freedom is. Alcohol, I can go and buy all the alcohol, brew all the alcohol, kill myself mm-hmm. on the alcohol, mm-hmm. and nobody bats a fucking eyelid. That's yeah. what I want for cannabis. Yeah, that's uh, I completely agree, mate. It's Sorry, absolutely. I, I fucking hate it. I'm going to rant with you, bro. Don't don't, yeah. don't apologize. This is what we're doing for the next hour or so, bro. We're ranting, <laughs> oh, man. Yes, we're on I'm down. Shit. I am down. <laughs> it's a fucking piss take, man. Because it's one of the things that gets me is where they put these plant limits. Like you're allowed to grow four plants in in flower and four plants in veg but you can't have eight in flower and it's like what about if we want to do a pheno hunt what about if we want to do some breeding it's like as long as i'm not out there selling it to people because i think that's where the where the boundary ends you know when you start selling it to people then it needs to make be made sure that it, it's safe for the consumer just like everything else goes through regulation that's fucking fine i don't, I don't mind that shit but up until that point it's like fuck you man you keep your nose out of my business you know what I mean? This is this is my shit. These are my fucking plans. I'll, I'll have a thousand of them if I want to, as long as I'm not trying to sell five of them. But even selling plants, that's a different thing. You know, when it comes to selling the actual cannabis at the end, then I do think there should be some kind of regulation just to ensure that it's safe for the consumer. And it just should be held to the same rules as everything else is. Why does it have to be treated so differently all the fucking time? Exactly, 100%. It is, it is not special. The argument they make is it's dangerous. Okay, then why don't we have these regulations on sugar, mm-hmm. tobacco, on alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, on caffeine, arguably? Yeah, caffeine is They're all more quantifiably more dangerous. Exactly. That, that's mm-hmm. that's the, the point there. So then it comes down to okay, if they say you allowed four plants and two are in flower, two are in veg, how do they enforce that? Mm hmm. That means that what they can arbitrarily come to your home, your private residence, and just what knock on the door or oh, cannabis bureau. Uh, we've come to see how many plants. That is an extreme invasion of our privacy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. millions died around the world in in wars over centuries to enshrine the freedoms of people. To when man behind my door, that's my kingdom. This is my yeah. castle. That's that's what all of this this capitalist paradigm is predicated on. Mm-hmm. So again, the same with oh, you're allowed twenty eight grams on the street. What happens when you've got 29? Yeah. Any any limitation that is placed upon us is a, is an opportunity for criminalization. And therefore, that mm-hmm. isn't an end of cannabis prohibitions. This is I'm trying to say to people that we have to have to actually end cannabis prohibition. Legalization mm-hmm. is the continuation. It's prohibition 2.0. Yeah. Whereas the only thing we can do now is ret- retrospectively, the same thing we did with homosexuality when that was criminalized. They didn't legalize it and create a new law. They went, holy fuck, go back there, this one. Oh, yeah, get rid of that. That was wrong. We have to do the same for cannabis mm-hmm. laws. You can't just keep mm-hmm. adding new shit on and then going, oh, well, under the 1937 convention, da, 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 you can't have... Like, no. Why can they grow thousands of plants and make all this mm-hmm. money and be on the cover of Forbes, yet my mates are still in fucking prison? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's unreal, mate. Yeah. it's And that's the hypocrisy that I'm, I'm fighting against. And this is 
one of the reasons I said I've withdrawn because I'll talk to people and even in kind of the way you did with this conversation, go, yes, why we need to legalize. And it's, I agree wholly with the sentiment that you're meaning because you're meaning small L legalize. That's the Pete Tosh legalize it, man. That's, that's the, that's the quintessential historic argument, but they've now run it through their little legalese machine. So when mm-hmm. they hear it, they can go, oh, oh, Mr. MP, Mr. MP, all these people calling to legalize it. They're saying they want me to have a monopoly and make tens of thousands of pounds every month while we have more taxation to throw them in prison. And they're all mm-hmm. voting for it. Listen, listen, they're saying legalize it, legalize it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what I'm trying to do is just break this spell so that we can champion and advocate for something. And first, I think, is we have the language to identify it. And this is where this neo-legalization concept comes in. For, into it for me to be able to say that when people want freedom they say legalize it with small l you know that's that's the what they're, they're arguing that's the soundbite that encapsulates their philosophy the motivation and, and the meaning behind that movement and this new and i was saying for a long time capital l proper noun legalization is in defined under a different subset of of, of uh, definition whereas now if we had this, this like i said this neo-legalization it's showing it towards what it is. I still don't have the words for this middle thing. I think the closest we have is the, what some of the Americans have gone towards, which is the descheduling, which is we we remove cannabis from the drug schedules and then it's still regulated under in, industrial and commercial things, like you said before, same as any other commodity. Mm-hmm. But the criminalization element is, is being removed because no part of the plant is criminalizable for individual action. As you mm-hmm. said, when you want to then sell tens of thousands of bags or whatever, then yeah, you should have to. But if you want to have like a market stall mm. or uh, you bring some of your mates around and they want to chip in some money towards what you've done, yeah, whose business is that? It's informed exactly, consent. Man. Well, when it becomes an actual business where you're making money from it and shit like that, then that's when the game changes. You know, when you go and sell fucking cakes at the cake fair, at the summer fair over the weekend and not making sure you got a fucking license to sell cakes, are they? It's like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. The, the, these government motherfuckers, as long as they can pinch your nipple until it's purple. Remember who said that in Shawshank Redemption? Uncle Sam is going to squeeze your nipple till it's purple. You know, some shit like that. It's fucking. We just get fucked over too much, and we just let them have, mm. let them just have their way of us, man. We say nothing about it. It's, it's frustrating mm. as fuck, and this is why I'm still hidden in the background here behind mm. this mushroomy avatar. It's it's about time we had change, man. And one of the things that I wanted to do. And I just don't even know how viable it is. But as the podcast gets bigger and bigger and we have more of more of an audience, then we have essentially more power. And at some point, I could just go, right, on 420, maybe 420, 2024, or maybe 2025 now. We give them plenty of fucking notice, but we just tell them, on this date, we will, the people of this country, we will treat cannabis as if it is legal so we're going to open our coffee shops. We're going to start selling it to people and, and just, you know, a big enough media campaign to make sure that everybody knows that this is going to happen on this day. And the whole people all around the country, everybody knows about it. Everybody's been speaking about it for over a year. And you've told all the police stations, you've told all the police forces, you told all the MPs, and then bang, 420, 2025 arrives. And it's like, it's legal now, mm. you know, and they can't prosecute a fuckload of people. There's no chance that they're going to be able to do it, man. And if you um, get enough people to speaking to the police and convincing them that you know that the right thing here is to stop prosecuting for people for cannabis. So stop doing it on the 20th of April, 2025. It'll it, work, right? 
I I would like to think. I mean, there's obviously yeah. <laughs> a certain a certain point of saturation. Um, it kind of reminds me of the South Park movie and the generals talking about the plan. I'm not going to name obviously the operation that was that was quoted by it because obviously it's quite a racist and offensive thing. And that's not what I'm meaning by it. I'm just the visualization of this mm-hmm, wave mm-hmm. of individuals sacrificing themselves, mm-hmm. and that's what it feels like they want us to do. They want us to go and run through the courts and to be caught up in the police stations mm-hmm, to, to mm-hmm. with the new draconian powers they've got for protest and all the rest of it to really come crack down on us so they can come in and be the saviors and go. This is the reason we need legalization. Here you go. This is what we're doing. So this is Canada plus California times six. So this is our version. And, and they'll roll it out and they'll get rich as fuck and they'll always be able to go towards those those figures and go, well, this many people are, are accessing it, so it's fine. Mm. But if we don't address those laws, the historic injustice of people like Gary Hughes is not going to be addressed. The legacy of individuals like that that have literally given a life as far as I can fucking see it, two decades, uh, the peak of his life is the best part of somebody's fucking life. Mm-hmm. And to then see what is coming through the pipe work, I mean, I'll speak in speculations. I mean, I'm under no fucking NDAs or anything at the minute, but I, I don't want to piss off too many people. Mm-hmm. But medicinal consumption spaces, these these the revamping of cannabis clubs into medicinal cannabis spaces, I think this is something I maybe even touched on last time as well. The acceleration of that and the number of private companies that are seeking, uh, what's the word, franchising, mm. is is greatly accelerating. And there does seem to be this overt connection between the adult use market and the medicinal market in terms of when you trace them up, behind the illusion of the EU GMP that makes it magical medicine, it's all the same cannabis. It's been sold in various markets as adult use, some markets as medicinal, it's cannabis as cannabis as cannabis. And they obviously want to secure this network. Again, this is my theory, tinfoil hat moment. They want to secure this network of these medicinal consumption spaces. So then you just flip the switch. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, mm-hmm. oh, we now need to legalize. Oh, well, we happen to run a hundred of these things. And and they pitch one thing and you save one group or you, you only champion one group of individuals at the cost of the others. Mm-hmm. Think of who's left now. The children and the disabled individuals were first put on the, the front line by these vulture capitalists to ensure the passage of regulations that, that help them above us. You know, it's been mm-hmm. nearly five years, 20,000 patients annually. Ridiculous. Compared right? to 1.8 million. And so, as you said, that thing of you approaching that door, exactly. The, even though those individuals are aware of it, the problem is that now they become like Agent Smith. Sorry to steal a fucking Matrix analogy, but they then become plugged into that system and defensive of it. I'm a patient. I'm a good one not one of the bad ones, creates this artificial binary and sets us against each other, whether we consciously realize it or not. Wherever they, they artificially create a binary, they create division. And then we seek protection. I say this as a script holder for anyone that wants to criticize me. I'm trying to explore the system as best as I possibly can, but there are so many dead ends and so many mm-hmm. points where the system doesn't make sense, where the rules are not enforced and there is no law to enforce the rules. So there is, I'm working on finishing finally my Medcon series in which I'm going to reveal, frankly, everything that I know, which... Are you still, uh, you still got your script? You're still getting cannabis from... I've still uh... got, it's a requisite of the continuation of my treatment, yet my treatment could take up to three years. So it's, it's frustrating. And obviously then when I tell the NHS this, and as there was like, as long as I continue to, you know, lie to them and, and tell them that I only use the magic mm-hmm. product and not the dangerous street product. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. 
it's the same when I'm driving. As long as I vape, I can vape as many grams as I want and sit yeah. and grind at the wheel. But if I smoke a blunt, oh my god, then it's it's these just you degenerates fucking... criminal. It's an insanity though because the vaping doesn't mm. help me. It just doesn't. I get yeah. a I get a THC headache the same as if I was just using an extracted pen or something like that. I'll get a high from like eyebrow above. And it'll lead to almost like what feels like a dehydration headache. You know, you've been like out at a festival yeah. midday mm-hmm. and you're just like, <clears throat> and it just doesn't touch the sides. I'll start to get like pangs in my belly, like an aggressive, almost munchy feeling, but without the desire to eat. But oh, then if man. I sit and roll a blunt, literally go, it, it washes over me, like releases from the head down. And, and the relief is just, is almost instantaneous. And yet the optics of that, I'm a bad person. Because that happens to smell and some people don't like the smell. To mm-hmm. me, that, that is the same argument as people going in the 70s and shit. Well, I don't mind the gays, but I don't think they should kiss in public. Mm. It's I see it as the same thing. I, I cannot. I am cannabis through and through. I am drugs through and through. I am a person that likes drugs. That should be equally as valid as saying I am queer. Therefore, I should be prote- protected under, under that uh, identification under the law. Other, other communities are, why the fuck are cannabis consumers not, regardless of whether you accept it or, or recognize or actually use it for medicinal mm-hmm. value or benefit? It's craziness, man. It's shocking that we're still treated as uh, lower members of society. You know, It's still the way it is now as well. You know, there's some circles that if you speak about cannabis in, you'll be seen as the criminal, as the, uh, yeah, the degenerates, you know, the, the underdogs. It, I, I don't know what's the correct term. It's, just you know not as good as everybody else like they'll laugh at you because you're a stoner and you'll easily forget things just living off that stereotype of cannabis users it's bad man yeah don't you think these things will change eventually you know because i I know that it's shit that we're not uh we're not where we want to be right now but do you think these are just the steps that have to be taken before we do have proper legalization you know not this neo-legalization we have but like we'll talk about farmers markets get seeds Mm -hmm. nice and easy you can grow your own there's no plant limits you know it's just i'll I'll, I'll read that legalization as like an end of criminalization i think is the Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the the closest i can kind of make my brain interpret it to be if you know what i mean Yeah, yeah um i think there are steps that can lead to that i don't necessarily think they are the ones that have to as in i think there are many paths from where we are we're still at it's an acceptance thing it, it, it again i go back to uh relating it to the lgbtq plus community if it, it's an acceptance that we are fucking here there, there isn't it isn't a theory it isn't a oh well yeah in a couple of years or event no today people are criminalized today their mm. lives are ruined like i i nearly, even even today i i got a, I had a whiplash moment driving and my body twitched and i was like what the fuck was that and it was a police van on the other side of the road driving the other way and i'm still and i've got my script i've got my fucking mm. grinder in the center console and my fucking vape and i've got my defense and if anyone who knows me knows that I'm willing and capable and happy to take on that cop, but mm-hmm. still I am living under that fucking fear. I am programmed for mm-hmm. that. That that shouldn't exist. Yeah. That, that just shouldn't fucking exist. So th- that's the thing that I, I want to see the secession of is the end of criminalization. And so these steps can lead to that, but I think it'll go through corporate monopolies and, a global air quotes neo legalization first, then they'll get round to it five, ten years after it and go, Why are all these cannabis people in prison? 
Didn't we end do and then look? Oh fuck shit! All these old laws from the seventies we didn't realize, and they've been using these to target ethnic minorities and poor people. That's weird. Why didn't all these posh people and all these individuals of money and affluence get targeted under the same laws? It, it, they're going to use the same mechanisms to attack and coerce our our, our conformity and into controllers and corrallers into accepting their system and to paying them for that privilege of the illusion of, of freedom. Mm. And then after a long enough period of time, we'll forget that freedom could ever exist. And this is the analogy I'm drawing in the, in the, the next episode of the MedCon series is with opium. Is opi- opium poppies used to just be, well, they still are, because they're, they're not criminalized, they're, they're widely available. Mm-hmm. But it used to just be a thing that was commonly used within culture. Then in the like the 1500s, they discovered laudanum. They mixed it with alcohol and made a tincture with it. And people started getting real fucked up with it. Then they moved on from that and they discovered uh, morphine. Then they moved on from that and they discovered and patented heroin, uh, uh, diamorphine uh, under the brand name heroin from uh, the company called Bayer. And then they've gone on to fentanyl and carfentanil. So carfentanil is now 10,000 times stronger than opium, than just smoked opium. Damn. Yeah, it's and so that's that, that's what I see happening with cannabis. And so they've gone, oh, well, because all opium is medicinal, there can't be a recreational opium market. There can't be an adult use market like there is with alcohol or tobacco. You have to get every time you want opium, you have to pay us. They created a cartel. They fortified it throughout. If you look at what happened with the Harrison Act and everything else at the start of the 1900s, and, and the, the, the subsequent acts that came after, the marijuana tax and all this other shit, that was all wrapped into this idea of pushing everything into that. So all substances, apart from tobacco and cigarettes, uh, sorry, tobacco and alcohol, because they were already such vastly large industries in and of themselves and didn't have medicinal value, they couldn't put them into this. So they took everything else that had value and went, oh, you have to criminalize it first and we'll work out the medicinal value later. Then we'll figure out how to monopolize it and patent it and, and sell it. And so that's what they've done with, with opioids. And look at what the fuck that is, is, is done. You know, mm-hmm. where you are in the States. I mean, fuck me running. That's what I see happening with cannabis. You're now seeing like people buying CBD flowers, you know, industrial hemp that is literally grown in fields that have failed tests for fucking for lead and all kinds of other shit. And people are spraying CBD converted, like CBD biomass converted Delta 10, 8, 9, whatever, onto this product. And it's getting around rules and they're going, well, this is safer than this thing that we've grown historically for millennia and know exactly what it does. It's it's a, it's a farce and the, the mm-hmm. rules dictate and create this. So if we don't tear up that rule to go, if you want natural cannabis and the right to just grow it and piss around with that's you. But then when you want to step into other, other leagues or whatever, then yeah, there's, there's, there's commercial industry for that. But that isn't to say that it should just be the McDonald's and the Amazons and the whatever. There should be your craft. There should be your your small and larger scale commercials. And then, yeah, your industrial boys, there will be. But when it, when it does actually start uh, start to become legalized and, you know, become uh, more of a commodity that isn't restricted in any way, then the market will speak for itself, won't it? It's, it seems to be about cannabis users are a little bit more conscious of how they spend their money and would rather spend it with the smaller mom and pop store around the corner than with the big corporations. So I think uh, when it comes to the cannabis market like that, when the, when the regulations are lifted and we can just have a free market of cannabis users and sellers, I think that's a direction it will go where people would avoid, you'll get the weekend smokers who just pick up a gram here and there and they'll get their Budweiser cannabis, you know, Maybe not Budweiser because they're on the way out, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a company like that. 
And, and then you have, mm. you know, the guy around the corner, which we've always had. This has been a mm. thing that is part of cannabis culture is to go and pick up a bud from the guy around the corner. You stay there for 15 minutes. You know, you see the picture his kid has painted at school this week. Yeah, you know, Maybe you have a, a game of burnout paradise and smash up some cars. You know, and then you go fucking home. And this is something which we've got used to. And I think that will stick. It's, it's part of the cannabis culture for proper cannabis users, not just the weekenders, but the everyday users, you know? 100%, 100%, man. Yeah. And I think we're already seeing that. Look at mm. California. You know, I think it's come down a bit, but it was projected in 2020 that like 80% of all sales were so-called black equities, black market, you know, mm-hmm. unregulated mm-hmm. sales. And again, that's, yeah, it's because people are going i've bought weed from dave for 10 years and the law changed and dave still sells weed why am i gonna go to these shop why, I, mm-hmm. I, i've got my roots as you said i've got my routine i've got my thing and then a lot of people then they'll go they'll test the waters like you're saying look at it and come back and go well all i've got is the same thing but i've paid through the wazoo for taxes and cannabis people uh historically well known for being quite anti-establishment and, and anti-government mm-hmm. so the idea of then going wait i'm giving more of my shit to you guys is a bit antithetical it's again it's so there's a saturation point again as we're seeing in california as we uh, i can't pull those stats out my ass right now uh but colorado had a dip there's a few of the states that have the, the legacy like uh longer standing equals legalized states that are starting to slow down on tax tax uh income mm-hmm. and this is again where every year people go from being novice and weekenders to then a certain bulk of them become connoisseurs and whatever and they want to home grow they want to go find the legacy people and learn about this shit. They want to go support the the guy who makes his own soil and has done for 20 years. They don't just want to go to Costco or, I don't know, Target or whatever. I don't even know what the situation is over there to go buy like soil or, or lighting equipment or whatever. Again, they want to go to the people that have, have done it because they deserve it and they, they identify in this and they want to reciprocate and reward them for, for their sacrifice. You know what I mean? I think that is something that needs to be taken into consideration by these neo-legalizers. And the other thing is, is this bounce back? As soon as you let us take off that fucking restraint, yeah, it's going to get out there. And just give us a bit of time. As you said, free market capitalism. If we have to continue to live under this neoliberalist fucking shite show, then at least give us the opportunity for for a a fair fight. Allow Mm -hmm. us to fight, uh, to operate within your system and to, to show what we are. And you don't have to judge us on, well, you didn't make a billion this year, therefore you're a failure. That's not what our judgment is on. Have we satisfied our community? Are our friends out of prison? Can all of us eat well? Do you know what I mean? Are our kids looked after? Are our mortgages fucking paid? If we can even start to dream of mortgages. Do you know what I mean? It's Imagine the, that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> participating in owning a property in your mid-fucking-30s and 40s in this country. Imagine, yeah. Like we mm-hmm. we could do that, whereas what they want to create is what they're already doing. When Emac got bought up by Curaleaf and all these other motherfuckers, they're, they're, they're selling it out. When legaliz- a big L legalization happens in this country, none of the tax is going to get paid here. They'll all be set up like Apple and Google, so they'll mm-hmm. not pay a tax here. So they'll asset fucking strippers, and they'll they'll make sure that they're not fucking uh, registered in, in regions so that, again, the money doesn't stay in your local area, whereas, I don't know, shout out like a Teesside Cannabis Club or something, that if they, when they went, they're going to stay as Teesside Cannabis Club, and they're going to help Teesside. You don't then need them to be going, oh, well, we're going to buy in this uh, weed from Zimbabwe and Colombia and Israel and create all this carbon footprint bureaucracy and bullshit when they can just go, oh, well, we're a destitute former industrial region. That's why we use all this industry to grow some fucking weed. Do you know what I mean? It's build up localism. This globalism is collapsing to, again, borrow a phrase. 
Yeah, the economy is not in a good state right now. And it's just crazy that they don't see, or maybe they do see. I don't know what goes through these fucking government politician dickheads' heads, man. But surely they should have some kind of idea about how many jobs are just waiting to fucking appear in this country overnight when they can just say, okay, it's legalized. Have your coffee shops, have your consumption lounges, start selling your cannabis. I mean, how much money is going to be pulled in through tax revenue for the government then? They'll make a shitload of money. There's going to be 100,000, 200,000 jobs, but it's just going to be, pal, in existence because they said, now you're allowed to have coffee shops. It'd be game-changing, man. There's, you, I mean, you live in the UK. You go to the high street now, all the shops are closed down. You know, you've got a few charity shops, a few fucking gambling spots, uh, a no-cash turkey barber. And, uh, you know, just that, these, these every, same old... every high mm -hmm. street, literally. Yeah, yeah. What can we do to boost the high street, man? Of course, you got your McDonald's mm. and your KFC as well. When, this is, this is where we think... had the fucking the coffee shop, the consumption lounge, we'll be able to bring back, you know, life to the high street again in the UK. Like, no pun intended. Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, you, you talk of revenue, there, not just from taxation, but from savings, policing. You're probably talking close to... Wait, let's add policing and health together. You're going to be over 10 billion mm -hmm. on, that you're going to save out the coffers straight away. Then in health, that is a gradually escalating saving because we're a notorious fucking culture for the way that we consume alcohol in this country. And again, that's predicated on what the nightlife is. And so there's a lot of people that are hidden. I used to be one of them that would go out in, in the alcohol environment to be able to say, take ecstasy or whatever else and enjoy some joints outside and not participate in the alcohol thing. But the reason I was doing it is that's where the music was. That's where the people were. Mm -hmm. So as you say, creating these venues, I'd say obviously advocate first for cannabis and controversial, obviously uh, for a lot of people, but then you have to accept the other things that people are doing. And then, sensible regulation of them obviously cannabis is entirely different because of its ability for your self-sufficiency that you can you know go online buy seeds online lawfully buy all the equipment online lawfully and then it's not until the act of germination by which you you break a fucking nearly 70 year old arbitrary shitty law um but you could then cultivate and grow all of that yourself produce it uh, like dry it and cure it and then have access to it and you've mm -hmm. never once connected to a criminal and like I said, the, the in terms of regenerating the high streets, if we allow people to do that and people to freely then want to go outside again, because that's the other thing as part of that adjustment. As soon as you say that we can doesn't mean that we will. We're not going to fucking trust these guys again. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Most of us have gotten nervous about how we smell leaving the house. Do you know what I mean? For some of us that grow, we, we worry about, like, is there a leaf on my shoe or some shit? Is there a tiny bit that's stuck to me somewhere? Mm -hmm. Is there something that, to me, is insignificant in this space that I'm operating right now? But as soon as I walk past that threshold, it, it puts me at a vulnerability. And so I think if we can get past those points, and if it has to be through neo-legalization, then this decriminalization, because that's going to be the issue. If you then on the high street have these coffee shops or whatever, or say clubs like in Barcelona... But as it is in Barcelona, you can get a 600 euro fine on the street for smoking cannabis. So, right. yeah. So what are, you, what are you trying to promote here? You said that we're druggies that hide away in dens and then written laws to ensure that we're hidden away in fucking dens. At least the Dutch yeah. had us on the high street, on the high street and in coffee shops. And people go, oh, the smell of Holland, you know, it'd be like mm -hmm. tulips and cannabis and cheese. Do, do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? It was what is associated to it. And it, it helped to lessen it and to neutralize it. Yeah, there was a bit of jokes about it from the uninitiated but people would then go there and you know eat a brownie have some weed do whatever and it would lessen that and i think what most people are afraid of now is that 
every high street that sets up is going to be like the coffee shop and they want it to be like the clubs. Whereas I think the way to appease the fucking people is to give us the thing in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mine ideal would be to open up uh, alcohol licensing to just go, if you want to smoke outside in the tobacco area, cannabis, we haven't sold you it. That's fine with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but don't you think that, you know, we were speaking earlier about you running for the police commissioner thing. Mm. Don't you think you could like run on a platform like that with these ideas in mind? And the majority of people are going to agree with you. I mean, it's it's at least 70% in the UK who adults who think that cannabis should be legalized, mm. right? He's pretty high up there now. And with a little bit of information given to him like that, they might consider supporting you because you know the fucking... They see the same things you do that cannabis should be legalized. It's not, not going to be the one thing you run on, but it can be a big part mm. of it. You know, you can also say about the high street failing. And mm. if we opened up cannabis consumption lounges, then people would be consuming cannabis there and they'll be on the high street again. So they'll actually be going into these shops around there as well, rather than just staying at home. Yeah, you, know, you can run on the on that platform, man. And I think there's a lot of people out there who would already, yeah, you know, like just just hear you for five minutes and be like, yeah, that guy's got my vote. Just simple. The other motherfuckers, yeah. they don't know what they're doing. I mean, I've seen the people who run for uh, the police complaints commission or what the the thing, the PCC, uh, mm-hmm. and it, the police crime commission. That's what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. I've seen the people who run in my city, and it's just like. Nobody can relate to these people, you know, and that's one of the most important things I find with a politician or, you know, somebody who's Mm. heading for some kind of office like that is just how they relate to the average person, you know, not the 1% or, you know, the top Mm. 10%, but more like in between like that middle 40%, (laughs) the majority of normal people, the middle class barely exists anymore. You know, the the more you can get people to relate with the community, they're going to be invoked in by, I think that's, that is always going to win, man. And you are in that position. You know, you, you know what you're talking about with this shit. You have good ideas and you can relate to these people. So mm. why? I, I mean, I, I don't want to try and force you. To no, do it I mean, literally, shit, you, but... you are persuading me. There's only one uh, difficulty that then forms with this, and that is that uh, next year it is highly probable, if not entirely likely, that I'll be moving from Durham. Uh, isn't to say that I couldn't stand in the new region as to where I'm going, but mm. where I am going is not very 420 friendly. Um, mm-hmm. Shall we say that's not the reason I'm going. I'm 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 following my heart. I'm I'm, I'm it's going too to... late now, bro. You're on the fucking TV. <laughs> look, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not gonna. Yeah, but give it away where where I'm fucking going. But I'm 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 mm. gonna seek to do some work, obviously, where I will land because. Um, that's where I'm going to live. Ultimately, I, I had a realization not that long ago as part of this withdrawal as to why I've stopped communicating with, with vast numbers of people. I used to spend my day just interacting with dozens upon dozens of fucking people, you know, hundreds of people a week. And I've got lost within all of this of trying to fight for other people's ideals and trying to understand what I'm standing for. And it was actually a conversation post uh, or after a conversation with Ed Rosenthal, where he asked me, like, am I for the grower or am I for the consumer? And I've kind of realized post, I'm for me in a selfish way, in the sense that I will give my life and my time and fight that if I then feel comfortable and free, then I'll stop because I feel that, but I feel that that aligns with the end of cannabis prohibition and the end of the drug war, because that's when I'd stop when I actually feel comfortable enough to just be like, I'm going to go out and do drugs today. Do, do you know what I mean? Or just be openly growing my plants in the front garden saying hi to Ethel next door, you know, watering some mm-hmm. beautiful cannabis plants like that. 
that's the the the, the world that I am going to fight toward. I may die at some point trying to fulfill that vision, but I still feel it's better to to have a vision and have something to fight for. And I won't be placated by any of these things. I'll accept them as stops along the way and utilize them as tools toward the greater vision. But I, I still believe it until I am free to grow as much as I want, until I am free to go and buy it from wherever, to openly, like, I don't know, give it to my fucking neighbors if I wish, to it just mm-hmm. to be not a thing, then we're not free. And so that's where my focus is, is kind of going with this. It's not the reason I'm moving at all. Um, but I, I've, I've tried for a long time in Durham and in this space, and there are other people in the North that are doing great work and there are advancements being made all around the country. And as I said, I don't think for all there is Ron's legacy, I'm, I'm not leaving Durham for forever. And I just need to, to take some time for myself. I'm going to work on, uh, writing my first book. I'm going to continue obviously with the podcast and various other sort of close to home projects like weed world that I uh, do as a feature writer. Um, but yeah, I just, I need to figure out how to really articulate this thing that I'm saying, this neo-legalization and the implications of this and what comes next, because when everyone else checks out and goes and starts opening their limited businesses and everyone starts getting fucking destroyed by the, the big fish eating the little fish within the capitalist system. And, you know, people start going to prison for violations and whatever else there'll be another movement post legalization where people go, well, what the fuck? And I want to have done the groundwork to be there to help that charge. I can't stop the wave of legalization of Prohibition 2.0. I've tried. I've broke myself trying to do it in, in financially, physically, spiritually, mentally. And I can't do it. I, I can't yeah. articulate in a way to people to go, no, please. I know I sound like an idiot. I know I sound like I'm being pedantic and I'm being an asshole. But, but listen, this is what I, I've learned over 10 years. This is what I've given myself to. And within as much lawful reason as I can within some of the NDAs I operate in, here's the fucking shit I know. And this is the direction I highly suspect that they're going in. And I still get the occasional, not whistleblower, but individual that will still, you know, give me certain information. And I've learned now to to just add that. It just goes in. that I'm not going to ever out these people or whatever. That's not the thing. It's I'm just trying to learn how I get free in that selfish way. Do you know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. the idea is to bring everybody with me, but if nobody wants to walk that road with me, I'm happy to walk that road alone for now because I've tried to lead. And this is the thing with my hesitance of the police thing as well. It's like, I don't know if I'm a leader. I'm too self-critical. I'm too unsure of, 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 of myself. Do, do you know what I mean? For all I'm, once I know something, I fucking know it. But until I know it, I, I can't, pretend to have that com- that competency or confidence and i think that that's what's necessary all right and I'm, i slave under the the illusion that that's a quality that a leader needs is to always be confident and competent and to appear capable or at least appear confident capable and, and confident depends on what kind it of leader you know but i think uh taking that kind of position i wouldn't say say uh it, it's better to be like that it's better to be judgmental of yourself you know reflective of yourself and know what your strengths and weaknesses are because you just you get a team around you. That's that's what people should really be voting for is the the team that's going to be around you as you make these rules and try and change things. And you know maybe the PCC isn't the right direction to go in. Maybe you need to join a political party and head in that direction because that's doable as well. It's something that I've considered, it, it, but mm. it's just you know right now when it's as illegal as it is, if it wasn't growing, it would be a completely different story. You know, but mm. uh, I have to grow. 
You know, my missus needs cannabis as a medicine. Fuck, are we going to continue to pay the ridiculous prices like she's expected to uh, through the, uh, the the legal, you know, finger quotation mark, the legal route? Because that's mm. not going to work, you know? It's, yeah. It's too expensive, man. Because, and this is another thing, you know, it's like she is a legal cannabis user. She's prescribed to use cannabis legally as medicine. But I also grow on her behalf. And it's like if these plants were ever found, it's like I could surely, surely I could be like, when we legalize some medical use now. They were like, yeah, but you can't grow it. Like, what are you talking about? You can't grow it. You're allowed to possess it. It's like, how am I supposed to get it then? Oh, you have to buy it off this company. Why if I can't afford that? Yeah, well, this is an interesting one. So we don't yet have a solid case precedent on it. Uh, necessarily, because obviously uh, a crown in magistrates doesn't automatically set precedent in law in this country. It needs to come from the higher court. Um, but what we have seen, or if there's allegations of, and I've personally seen one document um, that states that individuals have been caught and charged for cultivation of a Schedule II drug under the Misuse of Drugs Regulations 2001, which is effectively the state stating that this individual produced air quotes medical cannabis capital m capital c or cbpm a cannabis-based medicinal product designed for human consumption as regulated under the uh the the aforementioned uh, uh drugs regulation act um which is interesting because then basically the reasoning for that for the individual that i know of was because somebody uh authorized within the space a doctor or a prescriber had basically identified this individual as having this legitimate need. They'd never had a prescription, but they'd been classified as qualifying for one. So there is something in the law or something within the system that at least allows that discretion. So that individual should have, under my interpretation of the law, as it currently stands with the statutes being separated with the 71 and 2001 Act, is that unless... Um, you are prescribed that product and you buy that from a licensed dispenser that is then uh, authorized to to hold it and, and sell it to you from produ- from a producer who is also licensed to produce it and to sell it and to distribute it, um, then it automatically becomes a Schedule 1 drug. They, they were saying at the turn of, of, of 2018 when this came in, into being that the misuse of your prescription would turn that to, that Schedule, one, uh, Schedule 2 drug into a Schedule 1 drug. Whereas then we've not seen any enforcement to the best of my knowledge at this point. I've not seen anybody convicted for combusting their medicinal product. I've not seen anybody have their prescription uh, removed directly as the stated reason is for combustion. Um, If any of the prescription holders that may listen to this are aware of it, please do hit me up. Uh, might take me a minute because I'm slow, like I said, on social media media platforms at the minute, but I would be interested in in having this information just kind of, like I said, add into this because I'm trying to figure out where the loopholes of the points of exploitation are because exactly that if we can st- point to a case in law and then state that anybody that has then a prescription then cultivates they would automatically be charged with a lesser offense of production of a schedule two drug then that gives us at least a bit of wiggle room something to work on but i, th- I don't think they want to codify that into law for there to be that discretion because then basically all you'd need is to qualify for a prescription and i mean i could i could coach you in anybody in this country over 18 into a prescription yeah, in, three, in three months it? it's mm-hmm. it's really not you don't even need a history you just need to follow a certain few things to hit the tick boxes to then get into that, that qualifying position you don't want to reject customers do they 
I mean, this is it. We're, we're getting very close to the, you know, doctor on the beach in California in 97, you know, like your long haired hippie with your with his white coat on and fucking uh, like Hawaii shorts and flip flops. And he's got a clipboard and it's going like, so how do you sleep? I missed that one. Uh, how's your back? I missed that one. Uh, do you do a labor intensive job? And you know what I mean? Just trying to find the trigger points of the guy says, yeah, actually, all right, here you go. Here you qualify. Give me a hundred dollars. Boom. That's that's where I think they wanted to massage this system towards that basically you can just go, I'm going to self-refer. Because that's think about it. That's what they did with mental health. That's what they did with dentistry in this country. It's all part of a dismantling of, of an ailing NHS system, which, you know, is just celebrated its 75th birthday. And it's basically been held on its knees by mm-hmm. this fucking conservative party. Yet cannabis could revitalize that system. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Fuck these private clinics and this exploitation of the system. It should be in-house. Whereas at the minute, you've got doctors leaving the NHS where they're, I'm an NHS doctor. Cannabis is bad and has no accepted medicinal value. And goes in the private clinic and starts making potentially t- uh, speculation thousands a week. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong here. There's something very wrong. UK is very crooked right now, man. It's the worst uh, than I've ever seen it. It's yeah. bad. Yeah, it's the last bastion of kind of neoliberalistic where I suppose we called it Thatcherism over here or it was Reaganomics over in your end monkey yeah. um, of this just unbridled uh, uh, capitalism, this raw, unfiltered, just greed. You know, I'm mm. thinking of the, what the fuck's that guy's name um, from Wall Street, the scene in Wall Street. And he's like, you know, greed is good. And it's that's what it is. But in the rest of the world's kind of cottoned on and figured out some of its shit. And they're like, actually, hold on, let's put some brakes on this. Let's put some filters on it. Whereas little Britain has become the 51st state. And together we're just on this lunatic car crash where we're taking the entire global economy with us because disaster capitalism makes money. You got to mm-hmm. think when the housing market crashed, there were serious organizations that made bank. Do you know what I mean? Yep. When the Iraq war happened, you know, there were various companies that, that made, made money. You know, when tsunamis happened, there were various companies that make money. Ukraine, for fuck's sake, how many people making money out of that? It's it's all a fucking con, and it's, that's all they're doing with cannabis. They've then gone, oh, oh, no, it's the next thing we can make money from. <gasps> and they're just chopping it up and giving it to the mates and, and doing what, and they don't give a fuck about the people it's harming or the long-term mm-hmm. consequences. They, they can sell this on. We're part of this environmental vision and we're going to help, you know, green the world. It's like, well, then why are you importing cannabis into Scotland from Australia? Do you know the carbon footprint of that shit? Like, what what the fuck are you on about? Do you know how many people have got paid for that product to get there when the patient in Scotland could have just grown it at home? Or be, mm. if they didn't have the time, the skills or expertise or ability, go to a collective, go to somebody else. It, it, Cannabis could be and should be so ubiquitously available. But the problem is that crashes the market. And that's where legacy dealers and vendors have a big problem and where your big multiple multinational conglomerates have problems. They have a margin level that they don't want to see it drop below. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the market is definitely crashing in some of the Western states here. Uh, you see California. I mean, the retail price, what, what the, the growers can get for the stuff is ridiculously low. It's a glut on the market. It's like you said, it's not like this stuff is rare. It's out there. So sitting there trying to trying to justify, you know, $20 a gram for the stuff is ridiculous. There's more of it out there than we need. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, they're, they're all still lost. The, this, 
the, the 21st century robber barons you know back in the day you had like the Carhills, the carnegies the warburgs the rockefellers and the rothschilds they were like your big boys they ran everything and majority of the aforementioned individuals were involved in some way along with people like fucking uh william randolph hearst and various other individuals in this sort of campaign to get rid of cannabis which is a multifaceted resource and plant other than just a drug could harm the prospective industries and monopolies that they'd created and they'd, they'd risen to be the the uh like head industrialists of and so then over time these industries have now turned into cannibalistic ca- capitalism they've started eating it themselves and they've got so big that oh we're steel what, what do you mean you're a company that makes steel no we're the company that makes steel all right, we're, we're the company that makes this. The company, And the markets then can't compete. They start to collapse amongst their own, their own pressure. So then the investment money starts to come out of that and starting to go into different vessels. And cannabis is just this latest one. And they're still stuck of going cannabis equals drug. When this market will be worth nothing, nothing when they get to that next level. You know, phase three, four, when you're talking like uh, supercapacitor batteries made out of cannabis-derived graphene to replace lithium. And they want all the vehicles to be electric. How big do you think that fucking market will be when they're talking like $20,000 to replace a fucking battery in a Tesla? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And we're going, oh, grams and oh, and, uh, and ounces and like, fuck off. And that's only one application of it. Then you look at it as a biofuel replacing all uh, crude oil in the world, replacing uh, effectively all plastics. We still need to figure out a few little tweak things in terms of compression uh, with carbon, carbonous materials like putting coke or something in a bottle like that. Um, but we, we're starting to really fucking get there with different polymers and stuff. You then look at, like I said, textiles, replacing cotton and all these other things. It's those markets are going to be fucking huge. Then, like I said, the uh, the pharmaceutical side of it, that's that they're using cannabis to get their patents and research. Then they're doing what they're already doing now and what they're doing through the air quotes hemp market in America. And it's all biosynthesis, semi-synthetics, full synthetics and isomers. And that's got nothing to do with cannabis. That's not a cannabis industry, but that's still going to be hugely profitable. But it's not cannabis facing. Then if you just look at literally growing cannabis, right, this is the other one that they'll clock onto before too long. ESG, Environmental Social Governance Scores, set up by the uh, in conjunction with the launching of the Aladdin Supercomputer of BlackRock to create an investability, investability score for various companies. Eventually, they're going to clock on, the, oh, this whole carbon tax thing that we're pushing, if cannabis sequesters 325 kilograms of atmospheric uh, carbon per tonne when grown, instead of doing this, this shell game at the minute of going, oh, we're protecting a forest in Arizona, and it, uh, that's a bad state to pick, um, but it's yeah, Arizona, and it turns out to be a golf course. And so they're paying and they're offsetting with these carbon credits or whatever. Before too long, they're going to realize they can get that good uh, ESG score and good grace in the media and being, oh, we're a green company and actually offset the fucking carbon. I mean, just if the DEA alone today stopped its uh, wild eradication program. So when you look at the DEA statistics, I think it's still something like 90% of the plants that are destroyed by them are wild and feral because cannabis seed will sit under the ground for 20 fucking years. You put one grower, they come in and smash it all up and there's fucking males and females, and you've got seed that goes there, they could come back 10 years and be like, who's planted all this cannabis? And they're wasting all this resource and destroying it, and they burn it, putting the carbon back in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But if we just wilded cannabis, trillions of plants in areas that humans didn't access, and you didn't make it um, a financial incentive for them to go and get it, you're carbon trapping all of that. You're rewilding in, in that area in terms of the promotion of, of biodiversity and, and microbio and microdiversity. 
in in like the the microbiome etc is an insanity like there was those things could be fucking huge but we're still just going oh well it's a drug and this and and they want to artificially control the market so they get x amount as you say per key x amount per pound x amount per yield field whatever mm-hmm. it's just sorry it's rattle on there i'm in a i'm in a ranty mood you did second rant, so we're ranting. Yeah. <laughs> don't blame us <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck, this is a good uh insight to anyone that hasn't seen my podcast this is this is usually me for a few hours with my guest of just going yeah we're fucking we're fucking yeah <laughs> <laughs> So how is your podcast doing, man? It's so you're, you're putting less episodes out nowadays, I've noticed. I keep hitting... I've just hit a window of guest sickness, guests re... Uh, what's the word? Like rain-checking and needing to, like, oh, last minute. And so basically the past three weeks, I've had... Well, one this week's guest uh, has got the sniffles, and I'm trying to sort of rearrange to get that still recorded this week. Uh, I say this in his sniffles. He's got he's got a man flu, bless him. Um, but he's still at work, so he's doing good. So I'll I'll not not dob him in. Um, and then I've just had a few of the other guests. I don't know how much of that I should kind of say. I was working with an organisation in the uh, in the UK, and I'd had pre-selected with them several guests that were speaking at their event. And about three weeks to the event, they just went cold on me. Just absolutely went flat on me. So I lost those book those three week bookings pulled some of the guests forward and kind of rearranged in. As I said to you, I'm, I think I'm, I'm quite a humble individual and I don't really push push people. I'm like, yeah, man, when you can sort of thing. And <laughs> like I said, I've just had people pull out in a week and then it's like, well, I've got to get an episode together this week and reaching out to people. And it's, no, I can do two weeks from now, I can do a month from now. And it's like, well, it doesn't kind of help me now. Um, obviously, not 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 having to go any guess. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but so yeah, yeah. I've just I've just found found it. Well, yeah, we get in the same difficult. position sometimes. In the similar kind of boat, you know, we get mm. people to come on our show like we have done with you as well. And sometimes they just yeah, you know, sometimes they can just forget. You know, other times mm. shit comes up, and this is why we always have to ha- like to have some in the queue. You know, mm. so when shit like that happens, then because uh, we release them on a Wednesday. Yeah, but we, we've got like five, maybe four or five in the queue right now of different choices for us to put out. This will be like number six. We've got some good interviews just in the background that can be used at any time. That gives us a chance to take a week off of interviews mm. sometimes. Because, you know, we put one out a week, but we usually do two. We usually do two interviews a week on average. Some weeks we'll do one. It's very rare that we don't do one at all. But, you know, having some in the background in the queue always... Uh, always helps man it's nice to not have to stress about it so much yeah it's i'm a sticker i kind of i i prefer i like one shot it's like when i first got instagram and it really took back in the day when instagram was chronological none of this new fucking algorithm bullshit mm-hmm. and if i didn't post it that day it felt disingenuous again this is part of the whole neurodivergency thing and so it's the same with like the podcast it's i feel like i want to record the podcast state that it's to this episode number and go with it Mm-hmm. and so it kind of lock it locks it in and i prefer it my ideal is because i still I, I do what i can with the editing sort of thing but i still struggle with with various parts of it so ideally obviously you just want to smash it out but there's sometimes something is said by a guest that is potentially criminal potentially liable um that they kind of go you know shit uh i i can't have said that sort of thing you know i think of like i don't like the outlaw episode for fuck's sake took Days, weeks of editing, going back and forth with his. Bro, now you've brought that guy up. What? What the <laughs> fuck is with that guy? Where's he gone? Have uh, you heard anything from him? He's he's, he's I, vanished. 
I wasn't asked to not say anything, so I was supposed to be fair. I mean, it was in a private message. I did reach out to him a few months ago uh, at a point where I was very frustrated with with something that came out in the news and kind of the direction and response uh, that some of the organizations had had. And I just kind of reached out and I'm like, where the, where the fuck are you? I really need some advice on this. Um, as in like is sort of legal people their access because the, controversial as it was and whatever it, it did seem that what the legal people were looking to do not the advice and card thing not that that's not what i'm on about but in terms of the way that they had him protected in terms of the character of outlaw and the way they understood the law that was what i was trying to understand was uh was potentially to get my own my head off the chopping block basically and i got a kind of response from him and I'm trying to figure out how what I should how I should phrase this. Sorry, um, the dog eats up. He's, he's ele- yeah, he's he's could be or allegedly potentially dealing with um, something related in the realm of cannabis, something at scale that became personally problematic. Right, so does that, that makes sense. So I think yeah. that he's basically stepping back until he's resolved this issue that he's he's currently involved in um but he's got a whole solicitors company working behind him to fix problems like this what's wrong with him <laughs> but hey, you know you know the uk legal fucking systems like you know you can either be pulled in and in and out in a week or you can be i've still got mates that are waiting yeah. on, waiting and got caught this from 2019 but he would be know? saying shit about it you know for him to just go quiet the way he has and say nothing and keep nobody updated with anything when he's supposed to be like a frontline soldier for the movement of cannabis in the uk i mean for him to vanish the way he has it's just shady as fuck you, you, he was shady as fuck anyway you I, know we, we was we were skeptical of this guy man and i, I agree he's done this it's like I, dodgy i agree the lack of face and everything else but i mean it's there's other individuals in the space that, that have done the same that have been champions at the front line of the movement that have then personally faced criminal mm-hmm. like Trev, for example, and then stepped you know? away i mean I suppose Trev's different. Trev stood up and fought it publicly and really stayed mm-hmm. in the space with it, probably actually to his own detriment mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the amount that he put out there and revealed, especially to, to the police in his first kind of interview. And that's something obviously me and him discussed on my on an episode of my podcast. And that is, that's all in the open, so happy to discuss that. But then you've also got, again, so like um, Greg from UKCSE has just come, come back on the scene and the relaunch in UKCSE. There's going to be obviously Green Pride. I don't know if you guys have seen Green Pride coming back. No, uh, in, in in Brighton, um, and so he yeah he's just put out a thing um on Facebook recently, and I think he wrote an article on because he works for Relief now, one of the medicinal cannabis clinics, and uh, he put out an article basically explaining the reason because he kind of disappeared, and everyone's like, well, where did Greg go? And it was something similar. He'd ended up basically with it was like a possession charge. Um, I think they like raided this property and found like cannabis there as a result of um somebody sending him cannabis to the quarterly office like the post box they had registered to that magazine they produced mm-hmm. um so it's I, i'm not i don't want to make that judgment to anybody i can understand uh, with the gun to your head at that moment it's it's fucking difficult in in obviously abstract and in in the future or whatever yeah we can look at anybody and make it a determinative judgment but that's still only our sort of personal judgment I think this the reason though the fact that people are forced into that situation is all the more motivation to fight. It is just a shame that it, it's it's a problem I see in the general generally in the space is a lack of leadership. And that isn't to say that we're waiting for Jesus to stand up and rise. It's because the argument is so complex that there isn't one person that's just going to rise in this and have the answers. I don't think there's one movement necessarily even. There's just 
an understanding and under if we can unpin what this fucking matrix this 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 system that we're we're stuck within and operating in if we can learn the rules of it we can break it and currently we, we're not like I said, we're all wondering about going oh legalize it legalize it and it's like they're going oh yeah we will don't you wait mm-hmm. do, do you know what i mean it's we're in an interesting point arrests are up massively in the uk you know raids are up fucking massively i can't remember it's a big one this week you see that that's been reported this week some 153 million has been taken off uh, the UK streets in a big set mm-hmm. of drug raids. Some big shit happened this week. And what's what's it going to have touched? What's it going to have yeah. done, really? As a home grower, you then go, well, it didn't touch me. But then yeah. you've got to think, mm-hmm. of, it's your brethren, it's your sister, and it's, it's mm-hmm. your family out there. The, this is, again, what we need to recognise and take a leaf out of the kind of the queer movement um, playbook. If we don't have to like each other. We don't have to even respect each other, give a fuck about each other. But to identify the commonality and the minimal, the minimal commonality in that you are a cannabis consumer. Therefore, what is done to you because of cannabis, they will do tomorrow to me for cannabis. And we have to recognize that and fight for each other. And it doesn't need necessarily a movement, a, a logo, an emblem, a, a title, a banner, a flag. It just needs people to accept that this isn't fucking right. And then mm-hmm. through enough people standing up, we'll figure out what the next step is and so for me again it's that language thing of understanding that we're not necessarily arguing with each other it's just that the fucking tools we've been given for the job were deliberately blunted we were told to use drills as hammers you know fucking chisels as screwdrivers actually that would kind of work um but depends 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 on the screw i suppose um (laughs) but do you know what i mean we were given wrong information the wrong tools and then set out to fail and, and that that's where we're at with this. And if we can then recognize, whoa, 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 I know what I'm doing. Or if I don't, educate me. That's what we do on everything else that's dangerous in this world. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You can, you go to a fucking race day and you can pay a hundred quid and drive like a fucking Lamborghini at 200 mile an hour. And what do you do? You sign a little waiver. You know what I mean? You can get in an airplane and jump out 35,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Risky. What do you do? You sign a little waiver informed consent that's all i'm asking for with this with cannabis that's all we should be kind of seeking is that anything else is superfluous and if you actually really start to observe this and again no offense to anybody and this will get me some hate but if you really just quietly observe it and go who are the people that want this neo-legalization and what do they have to personally gain from it how many of them are invested in companies own companies are companies and businesses how many of them are not? And I say, I, I'm, the, I'm the simple life. Yeah, maybe a brand or whatever. We don't sell any merch. We don't do anything. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I lose money hand over fist every day in this space because all I want is truth and honesty and movement within it. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that make, means that you should trust me, but I'm saying it, it, to my estimation, that should make what I'm saying or at least my, my motivations more open. I'm looking for freedom. If I happen to make money from whatever comes when the war ends, that's fine but the war's ended. That's the reason I'm in the fight. It isn't to make money. It isn't to make a brand or a whatever. I don't even care if the podcast ever really gets up. As long as I can keep getting good guests and having the conversations with the people I care about mm-hmm. and, and have meaningful connection with other human beings week to week, then that's what, what I want from this. And so, yeah, I've grown very suspicious, quite, I suppose, jaded with a lot of people in the space because who's, who's signing your paycheck? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so that's yeah, the yeah. reason that some of my guests, I think, have pulled out on me is 
certain people see it. Like, I mean, I've reached out to a couple of people. I mean, one of my former guests now, because of their new rules uh, under their, their new company that they've started working for, they've got to go ask their boss if they can be on my podcast. And what do you think the boss is going to say? The same thing the last two guys that asked me if they, they said that their boss, they were going to ask their boss, then they weren't allowed on. Yeah, we, we don't even go for employees of shit. We just go for the guys at the top. But <laughs> yeah. it, we, we've, me, me and Monkey, we speak about this often, man. The fact that we don't have advertisers on our podcast and there's no ads on the show. And it's it's because it will change the things that you can and can't talk about. You don't want to piss off your advertisers. It just alters the conversation too much. You, know, you want to have an open conversation and speak freely about whatever the fuck you want to speak freely about and not have to be afraid of upsetting anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes a good conversation, man. So yeah, you do have to be wary of those things when you have sponsors. But there's also needs to be ways for you to pay the bills as well, because you know this shit is not cheap sometimes. When being community ran the way we are, that's a it's a good way to do things, man. You know the the mm-hmm. the patrons keep everything running for us. Yeah, I mean, shout out to my patrons. I've still got a few sort of legacy guys that are just. They're not doing it for the extras that they get because the inconsistency mm. is sort of not there. It's, it's again, this is mm. what I'm going on with this kind of neurodivergent journey of, I was recently re-diagnosed with ADHD and I am, like I said, recognizing my limitations. And so I want to get to a position and it's part of the reason, like I said, that I'm looking to move um, is to widen what I can do, to have a team of people that can help me coordinate and f- fill the areas that i don't have the expertise i mean shit like is the product earth are doing this year they're sticking me on stage to go and fight a bunch of not literally to figuratively verbally um fight a bunch of mps uh over the legalization you know that easy piece of fucking piss but then in terms of actually like building and maintaining and remembering where to post and having social media presence mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of that that i'm just not attuned to i've, I've personally hand built my website uh from squarespace because the several of the people that I've had volunteering their time on previous iterations of it just got bored effectively. And then when I'm like, I need to do this, they're like, oh, I'll get around to it next week. I'm like, but I need to be producing content. I need to be updating the page and being putting things out there. You know what I mean? And so I've now learned and taken up quite a lot of time through Squarespace to to build the simplelife.com. And that's what I'm trying to do now is is learn to do the things that I, I don't know how to do, but be able to accept the help for the things that I can't do and hopefully be able to, yeah, in, in, improve the craft and to be able to continue to have, like I said, these conversations because every week I learn something new. I evolve my position in a way that allows me f- further to articulate, um, yeah, these faults that I see with this current system and to, to hopefully help, you know, hash out this language that we need in order to, communicate to each other that we're on the same side we just don't know how to say it you know there's a the fucking big pink elephant in the room and none of us know how to say elephant do you know so we're like the pink thing the pink thing the pink thing i think it's like if we had the words to articulate it we, we could but we just we don't quite yet and that's not to say that you know my podcast or this podcast or any podcast is going to do it but collectively these conversations will you know tease out the way in which we can uh communicate yeah, I just think so many people, uh, you know, we all suffer some kind of PTSD from the things that most of us are still suffering, but there's still those guys, even in legal places that suffer, like, mm-hmm. you know, just that bit of PTSD, man, that that cautiousness you have to have uh, as a cannabis user. You know, the, the way we have more respect for people because, you know, we have to be more respectful because 
we don't have the same backup as everybody else because we can't call the police and shit, you know? It's a, it's yeah. a different kind of life that you have to live, man. You kind of get used to doing it. You, you have less conversations with people because you don't want them smelling weed on you. You know, there's just so many, there's this thing, there's different aspects of life that it interrupts, but you don't even realize, man, you know, yeah. just because of the, the stigma and how, how wide that stigma spreads across all of us, man, it's, it's terrible. How many different relationships have you lost out on because you haven't been able to just be honest with who you are to the people you speak to? I shit, per- yeah, I personally think that it's, one of the primary reasons and the, the war in drugs in general to the degradation of local communities. Mm-hmm. The reason I don't know my neighbor's names is because if we don't know each other, we can't harm each other. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. they do. They don't know what I do. I mean, I live in a very deprived area of Durham currently and have mm-hmm. done for about, you know, nearly a decade and a half. I know these people in and out, they know me sort of in and out as it were from my work and my public facing element, uh, um, as it were, what I put out there, but they know nothing about me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's basically everyone seeks to protect themselves because as soon as you get involved in somebody's shit, it's the more people that know something, the easier it is for something to be compromised. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is, it's, it's, it's problematic because think of all the good that we could do for each other. You know, think of the, the kindness that we could extend to each other. Yet yeah, there's, there's people in the street that I will try to avoid eye contact with because I don't want to have conversations with because I don't want them to basically be like, oh, you can get weed. You did the events. You 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 got the stuff over. Uh, as I had for quite a while, people would come to me, well, well, you did this stuff, so therefore you must and be able to, and therefore they're entitled for me to, to help them sort of thing. And it was a very weird thing, and it still is. So I can, yeah, I can understand why people are sort of hesitant, but the consequence of this is so detrimental. And then think of the kids that are raised by by cannabis growers and people in the closet that are forced into that closet by by the state because they'll threaten to take away their kids. The mm-hmm. kids internalize all of this. Do you know what I mean? Even if it's not around the cannabis thing, they then go, well, oh, well, we don't hang out with people. You know, we try and avoid social things. We And all of these subtle behaviors and mechanisms that we now hyper normalized to our daily behavior as you said to walk on the other side of a street from people to be hyper nice to people in a way that going then if they do smell it or see it they don't see us as a bad person mm-hmm. they don't feel threatened by us they smell the cannabis and then because you're moving with your shoulders a bit much like, oh my god he's gonna rob me all of these things that we're constantly running through our minds like i said every time you see a fucking siren you hear a siren something and you go uh and you think immediately, you go through, when was the last time I smoked cannabis? When was the last time I touched it? Have I got it in my pockets? Do you know, how, where can I get away from this situation? All of these things are rushing through your head and it's a fucking ambulance off to go and help somebody. Well, you know, you drive past your house on the way to the shops because you've got something on the way back from work and you drive past the house, got to pop to the shop, get some milk before I go home. But as you drive past, you've got to make sure that that door is still still on and it ain't been kicked off. Mm-hmm. That's something that we have to live with. And, you know, the, the risk of fire, you know, all these different things. It's, it's yeah. scary shit, man. It's scary shit. And it's it's shocking that we've had to live this way for so long as well. And this is pretty much since the 70s, isn't it? The, uh, was it 71, 72 when the Misuse of Drug Act was passed? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's coming up to a long time. And... Some bullshit, man. It is. And it... it it's, it feels so so much more fucked in the sense that it, if we were still where we are as a group, let, let's call ourselves, you know, the clandestine adult consumers, 
for all the, the maybe relative medicinal reasons or benefits that we get from sort of cannabis or for using it. Um, we've, we've been sort of left out of any kind of evolution of other groups. So there is this acceptance in, in other areas of like, if you're a medicinal patient or even if you say you've got can card and you can't afford it, that then you can get some sort of discretion or whatever that, the fact that we've got those kind of advancements, you know, the fact that, like I said, I can sit at my wheel of my car and sit and grind and consume a couple of grams of fucking weed through a vape, but can't smoke too off a blunt. The juxtaposition of these things is in fucking saying that how is the, the, these evolutions mm-hmm. in certain ways where they've got so advanced and they're making this money and they're projecting X amount of billions per year in the global market will be worth whatever. And again, my friends are still in prison. It, it, even us lot, we're the lucky, we're the lucky ones. We are the lucky ones. We've got to. Mm-hmm. We we're, we're not in a cell right now. For all I'm in a room that's actually smaller than a cell right now in terms of my office. I choose to be here. I choose to fight from this position. But the idea of being locked in that box—if I couldn't just open that door and get the fuck out and go and do what I wanted and get on with my life—that still terrifies me. Mm-hmm. Not for I'm scared of prison or for whatever, but I spent my youth locked up. I had an incredible difficult difficult childhood where I was locked in schools, man, with bars that were prisons for children. It was not a fucking good experience. Mm-hmm. So that you talk about your PTSD and shit, that still really bothers me. And the idea that they could still just threaten at any point to do that, that a chain of a reaction of events still, even with my prescription, that I could, you know, my vaporizer breaks. And I happen to smoke a blunt and a cop is being a prick about the whole thing. And then goes, well, it says you can't and this and that and the other. And then they go, oh, you got your car key on you. Oh, go search your car. Oh, you got your house key on you. Go search. Do you know, through an escalation of events, mm-hmm. that's still possible now, even though I'm lawfully protected under that prescription. There's still a roll of the dice as to whether that prescription will be taken into consideration by the cops. Yep. If they don't know about it, I could still get dragged up and have to wait until the fucking judge and my defense mm-hmm. solicitor and the CPS are stood there and they go, mm, the law. Do, do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Still have to go through all of that shit and the threats of it and then being searched and fingerprinted and put in their system to be trapped like an, a, a criminal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fucking, as you say, it, it, it's farcical. It's, it's, it's immoral and reprehensible. And I, I just worry that there's so many people that go, well, I can afford that protection and I only do these few things and I'm not interested in growing and I never buy from dealers and I whatever. So, mm-hmm. So yeah, good for fucking you. But the rest of us are still in that fucking bucket that you're now pissing in. Mm-hmm. There has to be this this reciprocal thing within the space that we go, okay, now we can move. And they did it first with hemp. What's hemp back in the early 90s with the, the, the licensing for that and the agricultural uh, aspects and elements so they could separate it away. Then they did it through CBD. Then they came and did it through medicinal. And so they've gone, well, the other people, they're just druggies. They're the wreckheads. They're the bad ones. They're the reason we have a war on drugs. What what optics have we got left to fight from other than our basic human rights? There's, we're everybody else. We're the people that don't fit into those things or better yet, don't want to fit into those things. And we need representation. We need a movement. Again, not necessarily something organized that is rigid and ideological, but a trajectory towards liberation. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that is is supporting Prohibition 2.0 and corporate legalization. No, definitely. A lot of people are going to go, oh, well, it's, it's a little step in the right direction. Yes, in basically every single other country except the UK. Our corruption in our House of Lords and our House of Commons is next level. 
Mm. The MPs that will vote that legalization, that get paid and lobbied by all of these corrupt companies and these international conglomerates, will then get knighted and rewarded and pushed into the House of Lords, where they get to veto any new laws. So even if it takes 20, 30 years and we replace the entire parliament and we get to vote on a new law and we get to go off, oh, we'll finally decriminalize, we'll finally deschedule and let the people be free 20 years after legalization. Those dickheads are sat as hereditary peers in the House of Lords till they die with the mm. ability to vote down that bill. The first thing we get past the post, because we don't have first past the post, has to be the thing, the, the, main, the, first, the main thing, because it's the only thing we'll get past. And that's what's different about the UK. And we've been told to just wait and go, oh, look at America, look at there, look at there. Most of them are driven by citizen initiatives. We don't have that mechanism in the UK. We're one of the most disenfranchised populations in the Western Hemisphere, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I go on about it every week, man. The UK, I, I like to say you can't spell, spell fucked without the UK. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's yeah. the way we are, man. That's how it is in the UK right now. It's, you know, 13 years of these fucking Tories, man. Mm. And it's, it's gone fucking crazy. It's so corrupt. And we've been able to see it more and more since this whole thing. But, you know, the pandemic that mm. happened around the world, people are able to see it now more than ever before. Because people used to be able to just get along with their day and just ignore it, and, you know. And uh, cannabis users can't do that. We see the, the injustice and the hypocrisy in government every single day when we're fucking smoking weed because we're not allowed to do that. And you can, I can go out and get a couple of bottles of vodka, drink them both, and be dead by morning. But I'm completely allowed to do that. But mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to just smoke a joint to get a little fucking high. But we see the, yeah. the hypocrisy every day. Most people don't get that. You know, and maybe drivers when they, you know, get caught speeding and shit like that and the bullshit on the road. But most people, they don't, they don't see the hypocrisy which is in the government every day. But when yeah. that shit happened, then they saw it, man. They saw them for what they really are. Exactly. Until the pressure is applied, you don't notice the boot. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? It, it's if you can't, you know, smell or taste the prison. Again, there's a lot of matrix quotes here. If you can't smell or taste the prison, <laughs> then you, you don't. You're not aware that you, you, you you're in it. Um. And I think that's what they, they've they've managed to do with this. But it's it's interesting in that there's some studies coming out recently that people are kind of scratching their heads at and they're like, why does there seem to be a correlation in some areas of some consumers of cannabis becoming depressed? And yet in some of the consumers, it's relieving depression. And there seems to be a thing that because cannabis causes metacognition and introspection. So you start to think about the way you think. So if you didn't know the world was shit and you suddenly pick up cannabis, there's a likelihood that over a period of time, that if, if you consume it enough, that you start to have these introspective thoughts, you'll become clinically depressed or qualifiably clinically depressed, but you are not depressed. It isn't the chemical imbalance and all these other bullshit myths that have been sold to sell the SSRIs and all the other crap for decades. It's awareness. You're acutely aware of the world is shit. That's why you feel depressed. It's mm. not, you can yeah do the diet and do whatever and get yourself to pinnacle health and all the other shit. But you're still depressed because of the, especially when you think of injustice. It's again another thing that, that cannabis gives you is this kind of thing. Oh, but that's wrong. Mm. Ah, that shit. That is really wrong. Ah, shit. I should do something about that. And even if you address it, your behavior yourself, or in then group spaces, you collectively start to change it. As you said before, of going around like your dealers. So if everyone had that, or I imagine most people like having that dealer when they were younger that they were almost like a philosopher. They were almost like the dude, you know, from Big Lebowski. And they kind of just they had a worldview and a vision that imparted onto others and it was because they consumed all of this fucking cannabis and interacted with the world and the systems of power in such a way that 
that it wasn't depressed. They weren't depressed. They were they were helping others kind of again to escape that matrix, as it were. I think that's what's missing from kind of the, the the culture now is the collectivism. This is where again the clubs, the coffee shops, the the field events, the expos, any of these things uh, originate from is us wanting to get together because then we can talk about the shit and start to take action upon it. Whereas if you're just sat consuming by yourself and as, as in, especially as a new consumer, then yeah, you, you're gonna like retrospectively look over your entire life and run it through this very critical. Uh, analytical kind of mindset and again statistically speaking that's what it is it's looking like so the, there was these correlations of people that would quit cannabis and there'd be a period where they'd be uh happy but then over, over a period they would then start to become sort of numb to the world around them and it was a drop-off of this kind of acute awareness of other things around them that they become more hedonistic more self self-centered more egoic more self-focused um, and I think that's what they want us to be because that's the perfect capitalist consumer. Whereas if you're like, man, Dave, let's go live in that field. <laughs> Where's the money there? Where's the benefit to that system? Worse, you get a thousand people together like that. They go, we could start our own country. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's and That's what it was always about. Look at the John Ehrlichman quote, you know, the Nixon drug advisor. And he was talking about the, the war on drugs and they knew that it would never help stop drugs. And it was never about that, that it was about breaking up communities and gatherings, demonizing them and vilifying them and taking away their leadership and stopping them from having this opportunity to create alternative paradigms to the neoliberalist capitalist system that we live under. Yeah. And I think that's still true. They're just going now, if we give them enough cannabis, but just enough they'll kind of pacify themselves, but not enough that they'll actually start being hypercritical of the situation. I think that's where the control mechanism comes in. I think that's why they want to control the amount of access to THC, because I think other cannabinoids have benefit and use, but there's something unique in THC, not just for its apoptosis sort of effect on cancer cells, um, but I think also in the way that it interacts with, with the brain. I mean, THC is basically the endogenous version of anandamide, which is called the bl bliss molecule. Hmm. so it's there's something there i think and i think that's what they want us to restrict so they're quite happily going yeah sell your fucking industrial hemp that's fucking filled with uh heavy metals and fucking pesticides and spray it with uh an isomer delta nine um semi-synthetic because it's not going to have the same effect mm -mm. and i think that's that's what they're cutting on to that they're slightly ahead of us on the thc is the powerhouse within this. And that's why it gets so heavily demonized through skunk psychosis and all these other things. Because then you look at, say, several studies that suggested that CBD isolate reduces testosterone levels. Yet you go to any CBD company and start asking them about this, and we don't want to talk about this. Do you know, yet they're, they're sold as like men's supplements. And there's, there's a lot of things that you look at these, these things, especially around the synthetics and the potential consequence of them, yet they're sold as, oh, well, we're legal THC. And you're like... No, mate, you, if anything, could potentially, huge, allegedly, potentially, massive, potentially, be more damaging to those receptors than beneficial. Did you know what I mean? It's it, There's something there, and without my little tinfoil hat, I, 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 that's all I can come up with, is it's not just the cancer element, because obviously cancer's worth hundreds of billions globally mm -hmm. um, in terms of an industry, just research grants and shit like that, that the, each country gives to charities through the governments you know and, and you look at the, say, the cancer act in this country and the manipulation around what's happened there and investment in the cancer research hugely controversial but if people want to go in and do their own research they feel welcome to go and do it um 
but yeah, I think there's there's something there around the social element of it as well. That like, I smoke good weed. I want to be around people. I want to chat shit. I want to meet the the most opposite to me person. I don't want to sit with five people that already share my worldview and philosophy. I want to go out and meet the craziest people and be like, "What's your worldview? What do you think of aliens, time travel, who built the pyramids?" Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we want. We have this seeking, this craving for knowledge and connection. And we don't currently have the infrastructure for this. We will run away to our own homes and like, yeah, yeah, you know, smoking at eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock out the back door at night, hoping that you know all the neighbors are asleep and it'll blow down the street. Mm-hmm. Well, they're doing it as well, you know. <laughs> but anyway, we've been here for a couple of hours now. We should really wrap this shit up. Yeah, it's getting, getting lit. I've, I've enjoyed it though. I mean, I felt a bit right. Yeah, man, it's... I haven't heard much from Monkey. I do apologize, brother. <laughs> oh, no problem, man. No, no, no. Uh, if my guest sits there and wants to, to do the talking, I'm fine with that. People that's what you're come here for. Here. Some... That's mm-hmm. it, man. I'm not here to, to be on mic. I'm here to let you be on mic. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I've uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed this. And I hope I've, I've put some sort of ideas out into the ether. Let's say I'm hashing out this neo legalization concept a bit more and trying to, again, just give language so that the, where we're finding friction in our communications, we can hopefully find commonality and, and identify the no, we're all wanting the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's just that we've kind of been tricked into, you know, communicating it in, in a, in an inaccurate way. We uh we just need to get together as a community, and I think if we had the right kind of organization or a kind of leader in the cannabis community here in the UK at least, then things would change, man. We just need it's like herding cats, and it that's the difficult mm-hmm. thing. We need to all of us get together and work towards the common goal of people not going to prison for possession of a harmless fucking herb. As simple as 100%, that. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. So where do people go to find the Simple Life podcast, man? How can more people go and listen to your stuff? Uh, you can find us uh, at thesimplelife.com. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, where else are we at? We're on Apple Podcasts, quite popular. Um, used to be on Anchor, which I think has become Spotify Podcast. That's all sort of changed now. And I'm not sure where that sub sends it to. Anchor used to send it to, I think, like six or seven different locations. I'm not quite sure where it gets sent out. I think we're still on buzz sprout not sure about that one um but basically yeah most most popular podcast uh platforms you know google amazon etc uh for all yeah popular guys um mm-hmm. you can find the po- you can find the podcast on there um obviously yeah, you can watch it on youtube and spotify i think i'll do the video too as well now uh, these days uh we'll be doing more on the website to try and uh similar to yourselves to just include more content about what each episode is and more um usability for people to look through previous episodes and find things that they'd be more interested in mm-hmm. it's difficult man figuring out how to put all this shit together for sure and the more content you get the more difficult it is to organize you know true very true is, but you know keep up the good work mate keep doing your thing and you know you said earlier if you're struggling for guests and shit like that then give us a shout man i'd be happy to be on your show i'm sure monkey will as well you know the and I know Billy would as well, you know, Billy out in the chat. So if you ever need yeah. a guest at short notice, then do give us a shout. I'm sure we can do something. For sure, for sure. I'll, uh, I'll make sure to add you guys all to my list. Um, you know, no pressure, of course, man. No pressure. It's your show. It's just a backup in, in case you need somebody. We're there if you need it. You're not on your own, man. You know, we, we're all in this fight together, you know? I appreciate it. do appreciate it. Yeah, so it's always good to remember. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Because it, it can be a lonely, lonely job sitting there doing all that editing. I know how it is, man. 
But it, oh, yeah, you know, I, I would have cracked a long time ago if it didn't have Monkey, you know, because we, <laughs> we all have the bad days. And to, it's like uh, the Beatles and Elvis, isn't it? You know, Elvis never had three other people who were going through the same shit he was. He just had to suffer mm. all that on his own. And mm. But the Beatles had each other. And, that, you know, just just don't feel as if you're on your own, man. Reach out, even if you just want to chat and rant about all the hard work you keep putting in. Yeah, you know, no. Reach I, out, man. I appreciate it. Like I said, I've, I've just been a bit quiet because I'm not sure what I have to say in a lot of ways. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to not cause friction or arguments. So I'm trying to, to understand how to articulate what I'm saying. So I think uh, I, I will be taking you up on that because... Uh, yeah, I'm starting to hash out, love the pun there, um, to more and more of <laughs> what it is that I'm trying to say and how I want to say it and how to be able to explain it and really articulate it to, to everyone. So, yeah, man, I uh, would we'll definitely uh, look to get you guys back on, on the podcast because obviously I think it's been nearly 100 episodes since you guys were on. You guys were on quite early, weren't you? Fucking hell, that long? God damn. Yeah, like, I, I wouldn't have us on either, though, mate, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but I'll be nice. I usually bully guests. I think you guys are the only ones who get pass for not actually putting your face on. Because um, even right, like, yeah, right, yeah. with the outlaw thing, I was like, you're doing, even with your fucking mask and your voice, at least you're not having a blank screen. Fucking sit there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you guys you guys get a pass, and I'll, I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide. Yeah, yeah, no pressure, man. It, you know, it's your show, mate. It's your show. We don't want to put any pressure on you and shit. No, nah, but we're, guys... we're just there if you, if you want us. That's all. That's all. Mm. I don't want to feel as if we've just twisted your arm and been like, let us on your show, Simba. Because <laughs> <laughs> no. it's not like we wouldn't enjoy being on, but we understand you know, you, make, you want people showing their faces and things like that. Don't be changing the way your show, your show runs on our behalf and shit, you know? Nah. Just know that we're there for you. That's all. That's, that's all I'm trying to say, you know? No, nah, I appreciate it. I do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll chat more offline because there's a few things I want to run by you uh, and just general kind of podcast day-to-day shit um so yeah thanks again really fucking appreciated it and really enjoyed it yeah man it's been great thanks. mate as usual we always enjoy chatting to yeah, you bro man. likewise yes. likewise yeah, yeah man so i feel like i got a, a really good uh fill right up now of, of a good british rant on the drug system so i'm, I'm completely <laughs> filled up with a rant right now nice nice well you'll uh you'll rest well this evening then yeah. Brother. oh yeah 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 I got, I got my fill got my fill <laughs> love it love it Sweet. Right, thanks there, Simper. Everybody wave. Everybody wave or let Simper go. Bye, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's hey, waving, waving behind their avatars, you know, and we can only see Simper waving. <laughs> no shame. So there we go, everybody. That was Simper Carter from the Simper Life podcast. If you have enjoyed this interview and you want to find out more about Simper, you can go and listen to our previous interviews that we have done with Simper by heading to our website, highonhomegrown.com slash interviews and you'll see the interviews that we have done with Simpa there. You can also head to Simpa's website which is thesimpalifepodcast.co.uk and you can find him on all major social networks as well. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Just search for The Simple Life Podcast and you will find him. Drop him a message, show some support if you can. That would be massively appreciated but I just want to say as usual, 
thank you for being here. Thank you for downloading and listening to the show. We appreciate every single one of you guys. So thank you, as always, for being here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It would be great if you could share it with a friend or a family member or somebody who is interested in cannabis content. But of course, no pressure. We just appreciate you being here. Anyway, have a good week. Stay high, stay safe. And I hope you enjoyed this interview with Simper Carter. We'll catch you on Friday for the Grow Guides. See you then, everybody. Goodbye.